Thank you, Bill, for that prayer. Could have prayed on and on with all that you brought up, and it's very helpful to remind us just how important it is to pray for one another and pray uh, here together as God's people. And I appreciate it so very much. I know we all, we all do. Will you please turn in, either in your bulletins or in your Bibles to Acts 5, 17 to 42. This is a, a long, longer passage, and some of you may not be able to stand for the whole time or part of the time, but uh, I do invite you to stand as we read God's holy and precious uh, infallible word from Acts chapter 5. But the high priest rose up with all of his associates, that is the sect of the Sadducees. They were all filled with jealousy. They laid hands on the apostles and put them in a public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the gates of the prison and taking them out, he said, go stand and speak to the people in the temple the whole message of this life. And upon hearing this, they entered into the temple about daybreak and began to teach. Now, I, I began before I was supposed to say this. You'll see that, that this is put in three parts here, and the, and the outline is there. I, I would have done better had I had a, more time, because I have an outline that all begins with C's, but don't take out what you already have on the outline. But uh, verses 17 to 23 are the context the teaching of the people in the temple. Uh, 27 to 39 is the confrontation. And 40 to 42 is the consequence, the consequences of what comes. So we go from the context to the confrontation uh, to the consequence. Verse 21b, Now when the high priest and the associates came, they called the council together, even all the senate of the sons of Israel, and sent orders to the prison house for them to be brought. But the officers who came did not find them in prison. And they returned and reported back, saying, We found the prison house locked quite securely and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened up, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple guard and the chief priest heard this, uh, these words, they were greatly perplexed about them as to what would come of this. But someone came and reported to them, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple teaching the people. Then the captain went along with the officers and proceeded to bring them back without violence, for they were afraid of the people that they might be stoned. When they had brought them, they stood them before the council. The high priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you put to death by hanging him on a cross. He is the one whom God highly exalted to his right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were cut to the quick and intended to kill them. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law respected by the people, stood up in the council and gave orders to put the men outside for a short time. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you propose to do to these men. For some time ago, Theodos rose up, claiming to be someone, and a group of about 400 men joined up with him, but he was killed, and all who followed were dispersed and came to nothing. 
After this, Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census and drew away some people after him. He too perished, and all those who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I say to you, stay away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or action is of men, it will be overthrown. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them, or else you may be found fighting against God. So they took his advice, and after calling the apostles in, they flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then released them. So they went their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Let us pray. Our Father, may the words of my mouth and meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. What precedes our passage uh, is, a, is a picture of extraordinary love and care and sure, uh, healing and teaching that was going on uh, among the people. Up in the temple area, too, uh, most of it. Multitudes coming to Christ. Uh, people, when, when Peter's walking along the street, uh, lying there hoping his shadow will pass over them and they get healing from that. But most of them coming to the temple area and, and experiencing healing, coming from cities around Jerusalem as well as Jerusalem itself in that way, all this taking place in the Sadducees' backyard. Now, you have the Sadducees and the Pharisees. You have two, two major parties. There are other parties besides this, the Zealots and, the, and so on. But the Pharisees, basically, they spent their time studying the law, teaching their disciples uh, in synagogues. And there were a number of synagogues in Jerusalem. There were synagogues in virtually every little town. There's even uh, in Nazareth, where the, the town was probably no bigger than this church. And they had a synagogue. The synagogues were everywhere, and that's where the Pharisees sort of spent their time uh, studying the law. But the Sadducees, the center for the Sadducees was really the temple. And the, the temple was a large area. You had probably one twentieth of it was the temple proper itself with the holy place and the holy of holies. But most of the people came in from the south end of the temple. And they would climb these stairs. And on the way up these stairs, before they even got inside the wall of the temple area proper, uh, the, big, the big platform, uh, they would pass by purification places where they would purify themselves in preparation for going up uh, into the temple. And when they go up into the temple from the south side, they would turn to the left and go to the, to the temple proper, uh, which was where they did the sacrifices. But what the problem was, was that so many of the people going up were going to the right, because that's where Peter was. That's where all the apostles were. That's where, that's where they were hearing the words about the Lord Jesus Christ and the name of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Sadducees, it says here, the, sect, uh, the high priest rose along with the associates, that is, the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy over all of this. They're going the wrong way. They should be coming the other, the, the other way. You know, Proverbs 27.4 says, Wrath is fierce and anger is a flood, but who can stand before jealousy? I'm reminded of a 
story I, I found once. Gustav Mahler, one of the greatest composers of the early 20th century, he lived from the 1800s into the 1900s, died, I think, around 1920. He married a woman named Alma, A-L-M-A, just like uh, the street nearby that we have named Alma. He was quite a proficient composer, quite, quite well known, but he married, he married Alma, who her, herself was a composer, and a very good one, and perhaps even better than good old Gustav. But the, the interesting thing is, when he married her, he wrote a letter to her, and in the letter he said, there will only be my music now. An extraordinary thing. Jealousy will do that. There's no love in, in that at all. It appears he married her just to get rid of her competition uh, as a, uh, a composer. Jealousy will do that. And, they, and, and so the high priest and his associates, the Sadducees, the high priest was a Sadducee. All the priestly people were Sadducees and, and of that side, of that uh, party. Uh, they put him in a public jail, like, just like uh, common criminals. They put him in a public jail. And I suppose that's one way to silence them. But, verse 19, during the night an angel of the Lord opened the gates of the prison and taking them out, he said, go stand back in that temple. <laughs> go back to the temple and, and teach uh, the whole message of this life. More specifically, all the words of this life. All the words of this life, spoken words. You're up there speaking. You're, you're declaring. You're preaching. You're teaching people uh, word, word by word of mouth. Uh, words of this life. Life here is the word, Greek word zoe, not bios. Bios, we get biology, we get physical life, this type of thing. Zoe was a particular word that's translated life that has to do with the resurrection life that Christ only Christ can give and bring. A deeper, profound quality of resurrection life where Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the way to the Father, the truth about the Father, and I am the one who gives life, the life-giving one from the Father. The Spirit gives life. It, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. This is resurrection life. This is the kind of life that Jesus says of it, I have come that you can have life and that you can have it more abundantly this kind of life. And they are to go and stand and speak to the people in the temple the words of this life, of this life. So upon hearing this, it goes on to say they entered the temple about daybreak. You know, at daybreak, that's when everything started. The temple crier would go and cry out to, to the priests, priests come prepare for worship, Levites come do your thing, and, and he would wake everyone up and get everybody ready to go, go for worship. And while they're doing this, opening up the gates, in come the disciples, the apostles. And they're, they're there in the greater part, probably in Solomon's portico. I, we, we don't know where, but they're up there in the temple. And, and they're over there teaching all the words of this life. And they went, however, at the same time, when the high priest and the associates came, they came to wherever it was that they were gathering, 
They called the council together, even the senate of the sons of Israel, and sent orders to the prison house for them to be brought. Now those two words, council and senate, show how earnest they are about doing something to get rid of these Galileans and what they're doing, what they're teaching, why they were all jealous about all of this. The, the word council is synedrion, from which we get synedrion, Sanhedrin. Sanhedrin, 70 men, the highest tribunal court in Israel, the high priest, the head of it, the high priest, really the leader of, of the Jews there uh, in, in Israel. And, and then the, the word senate, I don't know why they translated the word senate, uh, gerousia, gerousia, ger, from which we, uh, the root from which we, we get, uh, uh, what is it for getting old? <laughs> uh, what? I can't hear you. Garrison. Garrison. I, from which we get geriatrics. <laughs> it's the people with the white hair. The gray, the gray hair. I don't know if you know anybody here who has gray hair. But the, the, the old guys. The, and, and so here you have the Sanhedrin, 70 of the, of the big time men, leaders of Israel. And then you have these geriatrics people coming, uh, the gray haired men. I guess in addition, probably some of them had already been members of the Sanhedrin. Probably, more likely not. I don't know whether Gamaliel was considered geriatrics or whether, whether Gamaliel was considered part of the Sanhedrin, part of the 70. But, but uh, they're bringing in everybody who was somebody in order to deal with these 12 apostles and what they were doing. If you can catch, capture what's happening here. But the officers who came did not find them in the prison. Uh-oh. And they returned and reported back saying, we found the prison locked quite securely, the guard standing door... Uh, by the doors, we opened up and no one was there. And it says, when the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them. You know, was this an inside job? Where are they? What happened to them? Here we're calling all of these people to come together. and We can't find them. We can't find the, those 12 people but someone came and reported to them, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple teaching the people. I hope you're capturing the, what's going on here. This is, this is pretty big time, pretty big stuff. They hadn't fled into hiding. They hadn't shrunk in abject fear. Of all places, they're back in the temple teaching the word of this life. You know, we get e easily intimidated when we're around non-believers? Are we like the apostles? I'm afraid not. 
but not, uh, not the apostles. Then the captain went along with the officers, proceeded to bring them back without violence, for they were afraid of the people that they might be stoned. Isn't this interesting? Instead of the, of the apostles being afraid of the officers uh, being violent toward them, the officers are afraid of the people being violent toward them. And when they had brought them, they stood them before the council. An intimidating prospect for Have you ever stood in front of people that were, you were put to the test and, and you knew you were on opposite sides? We used to do that in, in Jackson, Mississippi, where we would stand before a, a university group on a pro-life issue. I was there along with a doctor who had been an abortionist who was uh, converted and, and was, went with me to these different college campuses uh, in Mississippi. And uh, so you, you, here we were out standing up there on the stage presenting our ideas and we received questions, and some of them hostile. But they, it's an intimidating prospect. But I want us to pause to consider two things. First of all, realize this, that Jesus had warned that this would happen. He said, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in the synagogues. But when they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you are to say, for it will be given you in that hour what you will say. For it is not you who speak, but it is the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. You know, just hearing these words from Jesus comforts you. Because you know that Jesus knew that you would be meeting these times, this kind of resistance and this kind of a response. And that ought to give you encouragement. You know that Jesus understands and Jesus is there with you. And that the Spirit will give you the words to say at that time. But there's also another aspect here, and that is uh, the uh, desire to, to trust in God as you would... I, I, we, my wife and I read this psalm the other day. But the eyes of the Lord on, are on those who fear Him, on those whose hope is in His unfailing love, to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. To wait, We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In Him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in His holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. We always have that in times like this. And the apostles knew that. And, and they trusted in God. They knew, they knew uh, that God was greater than the tribunal that, that they were facing at that point. And this is how we should live. Now, coming back we come to the confrontation. That's all the context. Now we come to the con confrontation standing before the council. So when they brought them, they stood them before the council. The high priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. 
Look carefully at a couple of things here. And it says he questioned them. It's actually a statement, but it's a statement that comes across as a question, I suppose. They said, we gave you strict orders. In other words, we commanded you. Why didn't you follow us? The second thing is what they commanded, not to continue teaching in this name. Do you notice that all the way through Acts, from the first chapter all the way to this chapter, they're reluctant to say the name Jesus. They either talk about this man or this name, something, something along that line. They don't want to men- mention the name Jesus. Uh, well, the apostles would take care of that. They acknowledged, however, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Had they forgotten their cries to Pilate? It was at a time in the process prior to Jesus' death where Pilate uh, had a bull brought over and he washed his hands and said, I am innocent of this man's blood. And then the people answered back, his blood be upon us and on our children. I guess they had forgotten that. So the apostles were not intimidated at the least by this question. As for the question of obeying their orders, we must obey God rather than man. As to the question of not teaching in his name and bringing his blood on their hands, the God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you put to death by hanging him on a cross. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and a savior. I want to give you the literal word order which I think is telling in the original. It it goes this way. This one, God, a prince and a savior, exalted to his right hand. This one, God, a prince and a savior. That's Jesus. He is exalted to his right hand. And as for the apostles' motives... It wasn't in order to make them uh, guilty, blood, blood guilty, and so on. It says they're to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. That's what they wanted to do. They wanted to bring repentance, forgiveness of sins, and Peter adds, we were witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit. That's our purpose. We, we're witnesses. We want you to repent and for the forgiveness of sin. Because this is what actually happened. A little cameo sketch of the gospel, all the same points, the same points that we learned in chapter 2 and in chapter 3 and chapter 4. And so this is the fourth time that Peter, Peter repeats it. You know, I'm reminded of a, of a preacher who preached a sermon and everybody liked it. And then the next Sunday they all come back and he preaches the same sermon. And they, thought they liked it, but they thought, well, didn't he preach that the Sunday before? And he comes back again the next week and he preaches the same sermon. And now they're getting a little worried about him, you know, that, that he might have a, a, a memory lapse or something. He comes back the fourth Sunday and he preaches the same sermon. Finally, somebody gets up the gumption to go up and ask him, why in the world are you preaching the same sermon? He said, well, if, if you'll obey and, and follow through what I preached on, then I'll go ahead and preach something else. So the high priest and Sanhedrin had two alternatives. Either repent for the forgiveness of sins or reject 
the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says, when they heard this, they were cut to the quick and intended to kill them. Actually, the word cut to the quick is too literal a translation. It, mean, it really means enraged or furious. They were angry, badly angry. Uh, they were enraged, they were infurious, and they wanted to kill all 12 of them. Now, isn't that astounding as you think about it? What, what had the apostles done? Had they murdered anybody? Had they embezzled? <laughs> Robbed? What had they done? They came with a message of, of the words of life. Words of life. Nevertheless, the Jewish leaders so hated them, they wanted to kill them. You remember Jesus' warning? Again, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. But they have done this to fulfill the word that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. They hated me without a cause. It's sad, isn't it? The high priest and the colleagues were all aware of what had happened. They were confronted with the resurrection of Jesus. They wouldn't believe it. They were confronted with the miracles. They wouldn't believe them. They just could not digest the evidence that was given to them. You remember the British philosopher Bertrand Russell? 1872 to 1970, he was 97 years old when he died. He was about 36 when, when uh, he wrote a an influential essay called Why I Am Not a Christian, where he argued strongly against believing in God. But he was once asked, what would he say if after death he met God? He said, I would say to him, you didn't give us enough evidence. I don't think that would wash. You know, in the, in the modern world, in my view, trying to just, and I'm not an apologist, so I'm apologizing for what I'm about to say. <laughs> the modern world is about, it will be, leave just about anything. They, they believe that nothing is the cause of everything. That the whole world and all of its complexities, the human complexities, the, how our whole makeup, our DNA, every, every, the, the world, nature, everything, came out of absolutely nothing, ultimately. That's where it goes. They do not believe in an intelligent designer such as a creator God created everything. Somebody intelligent had to do it. Now, which is more rational? Everything came out of nothing or that there is an intelligent designer God who created everything just on that level alone. In the same way, it was irrational for the Sanhedrin to respond the way they did. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, good old Gamaliel. Uh, actually, you know, Gamaliel, Paul tells us that, that he was born in Tarsus, but that he grew up in Jerusalem at the feet of Gamaliel. He was a student of Gamaliel. A Pharisee named Gamaliel, Gamaliel, teacher of the law, respected by all the people, stood up in the council, gave an order for everybody to be put aside. 
He says, first of all, remember Theodos? He rose up claiming to be somebody. 400 men followed him. Theodos was killed and the 400 scattered. Then along came Judas of Galilee uh, in the day of the census and some people went after him. The people were scattered and Judas died. So in the present case, I say to you, stay away from these men. Let them alone. If this plan or action is of men, it'll be overthrown. But it is, if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them or else you may be found fighting against God. You know, his speech was a model of ecclesiastical diplomacy and compromise. By comparing the apostles to insurrectionists, he held the Sadducees a check. By not supporting the killing of the apostles, he pleased the people. And by committing himself to nothing, he proved to be a good politician. Wait and see if God will settle the matter. On the surface, it seemed like real wisdom. I wonder if Saul, and I, I really believe that Saul was around at that time with him, whether he would approve of that speech, seeing what Saul at that time did to Stephen and to the rest of the church when he had a chance. But also, it may be that Saul, becoming Paul, told, told uh, Luke exactly what went on in that meeting. Finally, the consequences, sharing the sufferings of Christ. They took his advice, and after calling the apostles in, they flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus. Then they released him. They went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. Again, we come back to the, this is authentic Christianity. But what drives these apostles? What drives these Christians? Their love for the Lord. Their devotion to the Lord. And the gospel. All the words of this life. They were prepared to die for Jesus. He was everything to them. You see the word worthy that they Rejoicing that they had been considered worthy, it, become, it becomes a special term for suffering for, for Jesus. Uh, you remember that Jesus said, whoever is ashamed of me in this sinful and adulterous generation, of him, uh, the Son of Man, will, will be ashamed when he comes with the glory of the Father, uh, with his uh, angels, holy angels. Shame is the opposite of worthy in this context. Worthy is found in Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 following, which begins, only worthy of the gospel of Christ, conduct yourself, so that whether I am present or absent, I may hear the things concerning you, that you stand firm in one spirit, stand firm, striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way harmed by your adversaries, which is for them a sign of destruction, but of your salvation, and this from God. For it has been graciously given to you not only to, to suffer for him, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer on his behalf. That is an amphitheater uh, analogy that Paul gives there. Only worthy of the gospel of Christ, conduct yourselves.
And they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. Let's close by saying this. You know, Christianity is far too comfortable for us. We're all too concerned about our safety and comfort. For these men, it was life or death. It was 39 lashes, bleeding sore, and they were rejoicing. They, enjoy, they uh, end up rejoicing because they were considered worthy to suffer for Christ. First, we need to cultivate a people who rejoice in suffering, in persecution. Second, we need to cultivate a people who are radically countercultural. The apostolic church was radically countercultural. They loved their enemies, returned good for evil. They believed that to live is Christ and to die is gain. They realized that to save a life was to lose it, to lose it for Christ, and the gospel was to save it. They lived radical, out of step, upside down lives, and they turned the world upside down. Third, we need to cultivate a people who persevere in proclaiming the gospel, as the last verse says, every day in the temple. From house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus is the Christ. And fourth, we need to be those people whom we cultivate. 